Welcome, it's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact, the rumors that you have all heard are true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music. I was privileged enough to book amazing artists and bands in the past, and I was lucky enough to stay in touch with many of them to this day. This is a place to hear their stories. Thank you so much for riding along on this journey, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this latest episode of the Rivers Are True podcast. My name is Jeremy, and today I welcome my friend James Irwin. You know James from the bands Terminal and O Sleeper. James and I talk about uh, him growing up, getting into music, as well as the Terminal and O Sleeper records on Tooth and Nail and Solid State. Um, we dive back into when we first met, and uh, it was just an awesome way to reconnect with an old friend that I hadn't seen in quite a while. So. I hope you enjoy this latest episode with James Irwin. James, my friend, what is up, dude? Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get to talk to you today. I know. It's been a while. It's been quite a while, I think. Probably 14 years, at least. Yeah, probably <laughs> since a show or something. I haven't been in No Sleeper for... I think 10 years now. So it's been That's at least nuts. since then. And unless you came to like a reunion show or something in <laughs> Dallas, like a thing, you know, like, I don't think I did. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, then I know it's, it's, been, it's been that long. It's been that long, dude. Cool. Yeah. What, what, what are you up to now lately? I mean, it's, it's been a while since we talked, but what, what, what do you got going on in your life, man? Um, so, uh, I'm married, live in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, I sell real estate for a job and, um, and uh, I'm actually in a country band with Shane and Micah. I saw that. What's it called? Things. Chattahoochee. That's awesome. You guys staying busy with that? Yeah, as much as we can. It's uh, it's just like a fun little thing we do on the weekends. It's like uh, like glorified karaoke. So we just cover <laughs> like 90s country songs. Um, but it's a lot of fun. So That's awesome. Do you guys play around like just the bars around town? Yeah, bars, breweries, private events, um, just anybody that'll like pay us a little money to come and drink uh, beer and hang out, know, drink beer and play Garth Brooks songs, we'll do it. <laughs> so <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. At least you're getting your music fix in there. At least that's awesome. Yep, yep. 
little bit of that. So. Sweet, man. That's cool. Um, yeah, uh, let's talk about kind of when you and I um, originally met. It was probably, oh, man, it had to have been probably 06 maybe, 07, something like that. I, I wound up booking you guys and I think it was with Plea for Purging. I had probably a bunch of bands, My Children, My Bride, maybe, I don't know, something like that. I just, it's been so freaking long. In those early days, yeah, it had to have been there. We, we toured with a lot of My Children, My Bride, a lot of Plea. Uh, we toured with uh, Once Nothing a bunch. Oh, that was one of them. That was one of them for sure. Yeah, yeah Destroy the Runner. Yep, was a that was one. Go with the bunch. There it is. You're click- now it's clicking. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like there was like phases of the band where we would just tour with like the same band over and over. And in the beginning, it was like Destroy the Runner, Once Nothing, and uh, uh, My Chisel, My Bizzle. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they called themselves. But, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> Hilarious. So, yeah, Sweet. but I remember I remember you and Lucas were pretty close. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Well, he was kind of tour managing the yeah. band, so uh, so he was kind of the one who, I think, I think he was one who was like, hey, guys, come meet the promoter. He's a cool guy. Oh, <laughs> like, that's sitting sweet. Sitting in the van like, huh? But, man, uh, I, yeah. I love Lucas. I, I dearly miss that guy. It's, man, what a, I'm sure that was mm-hmm. tough for you guys. Yeah, it was. And it's just, it, uh, it's like, uh, it doesn't get easier. Yeah. Um, it's just like so. Sometimes you have like a uh, like a weak moment where I'm like, <laughs> it's yeah. emotional about it, but then I'm okay. But yeah, so, well, what a, what an awesome life he he lived, and and it was awesome to to have known him. That's it was a privilege, man. And I'm glad you guys got to you know be there near the end for him, and that's really cool. I love, yeah, you know, I made more music with him than anyone else. Wow, across like all the bands we ever did, like side projects that nobody really heard of and all this stuff more with him than anyone else. So that's, that's really cool. What a Testament. Yep. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Awesome. James. So let's talk about growing up for you, man. Music, music, uh, in your life, mm-hmm. kind of the influences, maybe some records and bands that you, uh, gravitated to and, and maybe what uh, caused you to pick up a guitar. Well, um, when I was a really little kid, both of my parents were musicians. So they were both band nerds like in high school and they wanted me to be a band nerd, but I was like, no, that's, that's not what I want to do. I wanted to like, I wanted to play drums because my dad played drums. We had a drum set at the house. So I'd kind of bang around on it. And my mom was like, you have to read music before you can play the drums. So you had to learn piano. And I didn't want to do that either. (laughs) So I was like, well, what if I learned how to play guitar? Uh, Cause I've been listening to this band Metallica and the guitars are really cool. And so she settled on that. And then I never ended up learning to read music. I never ended up playing drums. Um, I always just, I just, it's only ever been a guitar, but yeah, in the early days it was Metallica and then like Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and that, like, you know, whatever was going on and like the late, I remember the first Metallica record I heard was the black album. And I was just like, what is this? But then when I was about 13, a friend of mine was in, he was in uh, like the local Christian hardcore scene. He was in a band called Travail, which is oh, like yeah, a yeah. rap metal, metal band from <laughs> like, Fort Worth. And he was like, you should listen. You like Metallica? You should listen to this band called Embodiment. Oh, yeah. So I, I remember we sat in his truck and I listened to uh, the first Embodiment record with him. And I was just like, oh, my God. And that was like when there's like turning points in your life where like you, like you can go left or right. And I went like, leapt straight into like that was all i cared about was 
like this new music that I found and playing guitar that way. And uh, yeah, the pivotal record for me was Embodiment Embrace the Eternal. That was the so one that when I heard that, I'd never heard anything like it. It was the heaviest thing that I could ever fathom. Totally. <laughs> and I was a little kid and I couldn't play any of it. I didn't even know what a seven string guitar was. Like, you know, it was just, I was so young at the time, but that really was the pivotal thing. And I ended up finding uh, the dudes in Terminal, which was letter 12 at the time. But I found them on the embodiment message board Wow! Um, on their website. Uh, I think it was embodimentcore.com. <laughs> and that's how I ended up connecting with the dudes in uh, Terminal because there was two websites. So like in the scene that we grew up in, in Fort Worth, like a lot of great bands came out of it. And so um, we had a, a record label uh, that was kind of like a part of that big scene too. And it was Pluto records and Pluto mm -hmm. records launched yeah. Ludacris, which was Norma Jean society's finest. Uh, they put out as LA yeah. first record. Yeah. Um, what else did they do? They did. They just did. They were kind of a pretty strong anchor to the scene. So, but there were two websites that people would go in the scene that would just go and just talk all week before there was like aim and social media. One of them was the Pluto records message board. And the other was the embodiment website message board. And that's where I met the dudes in terminal. Cause they were needing a guitar player. And so I posted on there that I could do it. And Ryan Conley called me in my bedroom at my parents' house. And he was like, are you good at guitar? And I was like, I don't know. I think I can play some embodiment songs. <laughs> I just are you good played. at drums? <laughs> hey, are you good at drums? I don't know. And then uh, we met up and that was like the beginning of a, a friendship that goes to this day. And that was like, I was like 16 at the time and I'm 38 now. So that was 22 years Jeez. ago. Jeez. Jeez. Crazy. Um, so, uh, show wise, um, what, what, uh, what other groups were you into after you got into the, uh, embodiment record? What, what other bands were you listening and what bands were you going to see at that time? Um, at that time I was really into the Deftones too, and still really am. That's probably my favorite lifetime band is the Deftones. Great, great band. Um, but we just had all these great bands in the Fort Worth scene that we were, that we would go see like every weekend. We'd go see Travail. We'd go see Embodiment. We'd go see Society's Finest. Uh, and then we had a club that it was like a stop on tour for bands. So like Norma Jean would come uh, mm -hmm. to that place. Uh, God, who else would play? We, a Living Sacrifice would come. Uh, uh, who else did I see there? I mean, there's a lot of other local bands that were really good. Like Evelyn would play there, which is yeah. Shane's. Band. Yeah. Uh, we loved Evelyn. Bank called Dreaming of the Fifth would play there. They were like a, an email band uh, that we, and so that we had, there was good shows every single weekend at Club 412. And then, uh, and then there was another place in Arlington called Dream World that would kind of get like, they got a lot more shows, but they would get a spillover from 412 as well. So, yeah. Yeah, so kind of every weekend it shows. That's right, dude. Dropped off by my parents, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you kind of mentioned uh, how you met the Terminal guys. I was going to ask, uh, let, let's talk about Terminal for a little bit. Um, you guys sure. met on a message board. And uh, maybe kind of tell me how, uh, you know, obviously Ryan called you. And uh, let's go from there and kind of see how things uh, came to fruition. Yeah, so, um, yeah, at the time they were just, they needed another guitar player. And so... Uh, I went and met up with them. We had one practice. They ended up living like 
where they practice it. They practice at Travis's mom's house. Uh, and, um, his mom lived in a duplex where she lived in one side and the other side was just vacant, mm. but it was vacant and it was like not finished out. So it was like, you could see the studs. There was no flooring in it. It was like the subfloor, no AC. There was just electric <laughs> in there. There was no plumbing. So we had to go back to the other side to like take a dump or something if you do or if you wanted water. Uh, so it was real rough, but it was like, you know, you're a kid, you don't, you don't yeah. want that kind of thing. So, uh, but he lived like 10 minutes down the road and not very far away at all. Wow. Ended up. And so we would just, like, we would practice like three times a week and like after school and his mom would just put up with the loudest music ever, like <laughs> rattling her walls in the house all day. And I think about that now and I'm like, I can't believe she came home from work and just put up with <laughs> us and she would feed us like almost every time we'd practice. Aww. It was so loud. We go till super late and I just can't, I don't think I've ever thought about it until like just now, but like how crazy it is that she put up with us being so loud all the time. I bet. Can you imagine you going home and a band playing in your living room? Dude, I'd be like, no way. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to do anything except here. Like right. some, some whack local band like a, <laughs> do another Deftones cover. That's hysterical. <laughs> so when you guys first started, um, were you just doing covers or did you do originals and, and were you liking it? Was it sounding good? Did you feel like you had something? Yeah. Well, when they first, when I first joined the band, they had already had an EP that they recorded. Um, and so I learned all that and then it was like five songs. And then they had a couple other songs that, maybe like one or two that weren't recorded that I learned. Well, I, I, we hit the ground playing shows like right out of the gate. Uh, Cause they were already kind of an established you know, like local band, but they were all kids. I mean, we were all kids, but I was the oldest one. But mm. I think, I think when I joined the original bass player, his name was Kevin. I think he was like 14 when I joined. Wow. Like he was a little kid. I mean, they were little kids. So, but they were already like an established band. They had like won some battle of the bands and they were a good band. And I knew that when I, when I first got together with them, I knew like, oh, these guys are really good, and they, they're, I, I knew that it would be a good fit. Obviously, it was. We're still friends. Like twenty yeah. years later, uh, I'm watching right now. I have Travis's little Chihuahua. He's out of town, and I'm like watching it <laughs> for like the next eight days. I'm dog sitting so, too. <laughs> yeah, so oh, that's great. Uh, and so, but I knew kind of right out of the gate it was going to be a good fit. Um, and so I think we were playing shows like they just always had shows booked. And Who were so you playing with? I, was it just local bands or one of the, uh, let me think the first show we played. Okay. I'm not making this up. I think the first show I played with them was with Azalea dying. Wow. Yeah. So they, we always got really good shows. And then one of the very first shows we ever, I would say within the first six months of me being in the band, um, that uh, there was another, so we had club four one, two, that was the biggest venue that people played at, but there was another one called dream world that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And at dream world, uh, our other guitar player, Matt was friends with the owner and he got us on a show with, uh, it was supposed to be Zayo's last tour, but mm -hmm. it was listen to this lineup. It was Zayo unearth the underwater, which was like a band, I can't remember what where they were from, but uh, Dead Poetic. Wow. And that might be it. Zayo, Unearth, Dead Poetic. 
on you guys. Yeah. Oh, and under oath. I'm sorry. And oh my, that's a, <laughs> I don't know nuts. That. That's the biggest <laughs> part of the story. So, um, so we play with under oath. This is before they're like the under oath of today. This is like when Dallas is still yeah, the band, the black metal phase. Yeah. And we were like a one of five, but the tour was huge. They did not need us to play it, but we got to be honest somehow. So we played this huge sold out show, uh, you know, on Zayo's tour. And then we ended up making friends with Under Oath that night. And I'll never forget, and, and Unearth. I remember, like, both of those bands had dudes in it that came up to me and they're like, dude, y'all's band is so good. And I was like, what are That's you bad. even saying? You're Ken Susie from Unearth, or like, you're <laughs> Tim from Under Oath. I couldn't fathom that they would think that we were good. But we kind of just became friends with both bands. Uh, not long after that, we ended up recording a demo with, uh, with Ken from Unearth. Like, we drove to Boston to record in his mom's basement. Wow. Which is hilarious. I think we played like six or seven shows up there and back total. Mm. But I don't I don't know how we did it. But we we did that and then um we ended up giving that demo to to Under Oath. Uh like from just from the connection we made. Like they came back through town, we would we'd go see them. So after we recorded the demo with Ken, we ended up giving that demo from Under Earth we ended up giving that demo to under oath and they were like, well, this is really good. So we're like, Oh, thanks. And I think they kept in. Um, and that's kind of how we like stayed in touch with under oath. That's awesome. That um, was that, uh, a demo that you recorded a lot of those songs on, on the full length that you wound up putting out or was it, um, all new stuff that you wound up doing later? It was all new stuff that we did later. And so kind of like, so we played that show with Under Oath and, and Zayo and stuff. And then that was like, that kind of was our big break because that really established like some relationships and bands that were legit. Mm-hmm. So, and then the next time, so maybe like a year passed or something and we recorded a few more songs uh, that were like good enough to get like a band attention kind of stuff. They didn't make any records. I think they're out there somewhere. One song's called Bless the AM and another song's called I can't remember what the other one's called. It starts off. We didn't know it, but we ripped off this U2 riff. <laughs> it starts off. So if you ever hear like a demo from us and it starts off with like a U2 riff, we didn't even know what that song was. But uh, if anyway, so we gave those two songs and they came back through town to, to Under Oath. And uh, it was one of those situations where like a local band gives their demo to a band and then that band gets signed. Like maybe the only time that ever happened was to us because we gave our demo to Under Oath. And they were like, we can't believe this. This is so great. So then about 10 days later, the tour that they were on uh, that was in Dallas eventually ended up in Seattle. And uh, Chad from Tooth and Nail calls our drummer, Ryan, when he's like in math class or something. <laughs> and he called. So Ryan answers it somehow on his cell phone. And he's like, he said that uh, Chad goes, hey, man this is Chad Johnson from tooth and nail and your band sucks. And he hangs up on him. <laughs> Ryan's like, what? That's incredible. He's like, what? And then, so he's like kind of sitting there kind of freaking out and then calls him back. And he's like, no, I'm just kidding. Your band's really good. I'm sitting here with the under oath guys. They showed it to me here at the office. Um, and, uh, anyway, the, the long and the short of it is we ended up going up to Seattle and uh, meeting with the record label. They ended up, uh, recording us a little bit and then we signed the record deal and then ended up writing the how the lonely keep record what what was that like um 
when they contacted you, how did you guys feel about that? Were you stoked? Were you static? Were you looking for that label in particular? Or, or was it just kind of like just happened so fast? I mean, it was the dream situation because every band that we really loved uh, and respected and thought was cool was on Tooth and Nail or Solid State. Like all the biggest bands that would come through town were on Tooth and Nail or Solid State. So that was always kind of a dream to That's be cool. on that record label. Um, and then, you know, we give a demo to a band that we're friends with that we like, and they give it to the label. <laughs> and then we it's end up crazy. inside. It's kind of crazy because, I mean, I can't tell you how many times people would give us demos on tour, like <laughs> later down the road when we were at event. And we would, we would honestly listen to all of them because they would just end up being so funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like so bad they're like super funny and now i don't think bands have bad demos anymore because everyone can record a great song like a great sounding song but you would just have like a lit so so i'd like to say like i don't think we ever took a demo to the label we're like hey check this band out they're great wow and i don't think that ever happens ever <laughs> except it happened to us which is that's nuts. that's really cool that's so, that's amazing yeah it just it seems crazy to think about it now but that's how it works out so after you signed with Tooth and Nail, when oh, how quick do you start working on How the Lonely Keep? That record, obviously, you work with Zach. That's really cool. What were your thoughts on it um, when you heard it finally uh, for the first time when it was done? Maybe kind of talk about how you felt about was it did it blow your mind? How was that? Yeah, like every time we've ever done a record, you're always like you're always blown away at how it ends up turning out compared to like what it sounded like as a demo or in the, in the room or whatever. And most of the time, like we wrote every song, the, the terminal record was weird because you would think with it kind of being a pop record, it would be like vocals heavy. Like you would, we'd write around hooks and ideas. We wrote the whole record without any vocals ever in mind at all. We would just like, we just knew what a structure of a song could be and we wrote it out and then Travis wrote all the vocals and all the lyrics and everything after that. Wow. So it's almost kind of backwards how you would think you would write like a, like a pop record like that. Oh, Sleeper was that way too. But I mean, that was just kind of like how many breakdowns can we fit into a song and make it sound <laughs> crazy. So the terminal record was different because we didn't really know how Travis would sound like, you know, auto tuned and uh, produced and have his voice compressed and all that stuff. So I remember we had, um, they sent us like a minute clip uh, when it was getting mixed, you know, and it was like all tuned and everything was lined up. And I was just like, I can't believe this is what our band sounds like. Because we kind of went from being like a a post-hardcore band that we want like kind of like a Poison the Well, Glassjaw sounding band, you know, kind of like just pulling from all these influences into being what Terminal was. It was like whenever we signed, we kind of wanted to get away from like the half screaming, half singing mm-hmm. genre. And so it was also kind of like a, a totally new turn for the band where we just like kind of turned it in a different direction. It was more of like uh, kind of radio rock, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so hearing it come together was cool. Cause it was, you know, like again, because it just sounds so different when you're writing it in a room that it does on the album. Totally. And Zach is a great producer uh, who's that guy who mixed it? J.R. McNeely. Oh, yeah. He's the guy who makes everything that uh, To The Nail put out. Uh, yeah, it was incredible. I listened to that minute-long clip. They sent me like a thousand times. I think I burned it onto a CD, and I would just drive around in my truck and just listen to that minute like over That's and sweet. over and over again. 
That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. What did uh, what did the label think? I know you can't speak for them, but what what were their thoughts? That they were they stoked on it? Yeah, I think they were excited. I mean, um, you know, it's kind of hard to rebrand an Ebel. Um, he's like a real hard person to read, and Chad is so excited about everything. So the, Chad was our Chad Johnson was our A and R. He was the point man for everything, and he's just such an always excited guy that it was kind of hard to read him. It wasn't until later in life I found out that that was like one of his top ten favorite records of all time, which is kind of cool. That is really uh, cool. So maybe his enthusiasm was real at the time. That's cool. So, but it was an exciting time to be a part of the label because uh, that was the same time Mad City's Burn was signed to the record label, mm-hmm. um, and we become friends with them because they were they're in Louisiana. So at the time, you know, we would we would go to Louisiana and play shows with them. They would come to Texas and play shows with us, and I remember it was just extremely exciting because it was like, like oh, all these new bands coming up at the time. Like Joan Zetta was coming out at the time. Yep. It was just a cool time to be a part of the record. So we were just, it was just exciting in general. And then just going to Seattle and seeing them being, we recorded in the basement of Tooth and Nail. So we were like, felt like we were a part of the machine the whole That's time. Cool. Like right out of the gate. So, That's I mean, that, that part of my life is really special. It's really it's just there's nothing else like it. It was like kind of becoming an adult, having some freedom, doing this thing that I always wanted to do, kind yeah. of all all coalesced all at one time. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, do you hit the road um, running uh, right after that? And, and maybe let's talk about the touring from, um, after that record uh, was released. Yeah. Yeah, we hit the ground running pretty quick. I think we did, before the record came out, we did a tour with He Is Legend, uh, in a band called the receiving and the sirens. Mm-hmm. And then we did, uh, another tour with the Juliana theory, <clears throat> which sounds really sick, but it was like right at the end of the Juliana theories, like first era, they had put out that record love mm. and, and like, which is, I think my favorite Juliana theory record. And I think it's still the one that holds up the best. But when I tell you less than nobody cared, I mean, like, it was nuts. We did, like, sea wow. market touring with them. Wow. And we would play – I remember we played in Akron, Ohio, and there was, like, 12 people there Whoa. to see the Juliana Theory. And uh, nobody knew who we were, right? But I remember some guy chanted one more song. He was like, one <laughs> more song, like, after we played our first song. <laughs> I was just like <laughs> – That's <laughs> <it> was, crappy. <laughs> I laughed. I, I was like, that's one of the funniest jokes. I, I still remember it to this day. And I was like 20 years ago, but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, we toured a bunch right out of the gate. And then we were on tour with, uh, Amberlin, Sayosin, Acceptance and Code 7 Good when God. the album came out. It was either right when it came out or like the album came out and then we went right on that tour. Uh, and that was like, the, that was the biggest tour we ever did. It was like sold out every day, everywhere, like both wow. coasts. I think there was like 40 something dates. Uh, That's nuts. nuts. That is nuts. Yeah. What a, what a lineup. That's sick. Yeah, what um, a crazy lineup. I mean, just Samson and Amberlin. I mean, either one of those bands could have headlined the tour without the other one. That would have been huge. But having them both there was just, that was our first real taste of it. Oh, this is like a serious thing now. This is real yeah. big boy touring. Uh, it was cool. Yeah. So uh, you tour for, what, probably for a year or so. Is that kind of what it was? Uh, I guess 
what kind of led to the to the end of the band and uh, i mean wh- why wasn't there a second record um i think if you asked everybody they would tell you a different story on the band even though we're all like still good friends and stuff but um I, I don't even think it was a year i think the record had been out for like six or eight months when we broke up like it was really quick um and i think it all just boils down to we were so young and immature and bad at conflict resolution that we just couldn't figure it out. We got in like one fight. Uh, we had driven out to, we had done the sales and tour, went home. And then we were going back out for like a two week run with, uh, I don't even remember who it was, a Halifax maybe or something. Mm. Um, so we were getting all these like really kick-ass tours. I just can't like going back and thinking about it. I'm like, dude, that, that band had everything handed to it. It's so funny, but we did like, didn't appreciate it somehow. No. Um, but yeah, we went out there, we, we toured on the way, we were going to start the tour in California. So we had like three shows on the way out there. And I think we had just kind of had enough of each other at that point. And we just, yeah, we just, I remember we literally, this is so terrible. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm friends with Travis today, so I can kind of joke about it, but we just left Travis in California. We we're like, Hey man, we're getting out of here and going home. Like, because all of us are over being in this band thing. So, because he wanted to keep doing it. And so we just left him in California. We gave him like a, a couple thousand bucks or something. I think he rented a van and finished the tour with an acoustic guitar. Whoa. So, That's nuts. Yeah. So it was like, and then, so the tour came when it was supposed to have its Dallas leg of the tour. Uh, the, the Dallas show was at a venue in Dallas called Trees. And all the dudes, we all showed up. Uh, I don't think any of us really talked to each other much at all at that show. We just got on stage and played. And that was like the last show we played for years. It was like kind of this set. It was so stupid because it was like, looking back now, it's like, what if we just sat down in a room and like had a conversation or something? (laughs) I've heard that on this podcast many times. (laughs) It's so dumb. It's unfortunate, but but yeah. I mean, you just can't overestimate how bad, like, 19-year-olds are at conflict resolution and, like, understanding each other and seeing where the other person is at. Because all you see, you know, we were, like, like I said, we were just young and selfish and immature. I don't think we appreciated any, like, the position we were in. Uh, I don't think we appreciated each other like we should have. And so kind of what you get out of that is a band that broke up premature, unfortunately. So was there any uh, songs recorded that you never got to put out or is there any like hidden material or anything like that? Um, no, not anything from that era. So a few, maybe a few years ago. So we did a couple of reunion shows. One was for Mike Zemer at a, mm-hmm. at a festival that he held, that he holds in Dallas. I think it was on silent night, but we did that one. That was really cool. And then, uh, and then we started playing, we have, how many shows have we played since we broke up? We probably played about like, uh, maybe 10 shows since we broke up in the past, however many years that is. But, um, we wrote one song maybe like three years ago and like have a pretty cool demo of it. Um, and, uh, it's like kind of heavy it doesn't really sound like terminal, but it's pretty cool. And, awesome. um, we were kind of sitting around, like kind of kicking around writing a record and stuff. But um, there's four dudes in the band now that own their own business and have families and 
it's totally. just hard when you're it's so hard to commit to like like we can't go to travis's mom's house and record <laughs> and play every day you know like yeah. it's, it's just so unless you're willing to say no to a lot of other things in your life it's really hard to, to say yes to that like no, I, was, I get it i get and it and so as much as i would love it and as much as i think everyone would love it in the band and there's some people I think that would still think it was cool, man, it would just be really tough. And I just don't think it's going to happen. Sure. Sure. How was the furnace fest so, uh, show for you guys? It looked, I didn't get to go that year, but it, it looked awesome, man. That was just, that was special beyond belief because furnace fest was done before we were even a band really. I mean, it wow. was done so long ago, but it was something that we always knew about. Like we would always, like they used to put out DVDs of the Furnace Fest. Well, we had those DVDs and watch them and be like, do you, can you believe how, look at this lineup. And yeah. um, so when I first announced uh, that they were doing it, I reached out to Chad and I was like, hey man, we'll kind of do anything to, to play this. And, you know, if you can, if we could just get like, we don't have to get paid a lot of money. If we could just get like gas money out there, like that would be, we just want to do it, you know? And I kind of floated that out there before I talked to anybody else about it. But uh, he ended up making – him and uh, Mike Zimmer ended up making us an offer. And we did Furnace Fest. And we – so we – Furnace Fest was weird because it happened, like, during the pandemic, kind of. And so there was a year it was supposed to happen. It kept getting canceled. So yeah. Yeah. we had practiced and gotten ready, and then it ain't happening. And then it kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. Then it finally happened and it was great for some reason they gave us a really great time slot like way better than we like we should have been playing at like noon on the first day but <laughs> they gave us like a 5 30 slot on a uh, i think it was on the first or second we played on the day that under oath played so wow. like a day that people were going to be there we had a great uh a great time slot it was it was so fun we played a show the night before with emory uh at a club in birmingham that was sold out so it was just a dope weekend. Um, yeah, man. That sounds yeah. awesome. So very cool. All right. Well, let's step, take a step or two back. Uh, terminal ends. Um, how soon after that does those sleeper start? And, and what, uh, how does that kind of come, come to be? Yeah. So terminal breaks up and everybody just kind of scatters to the wind. Um, Matt, who is the other guitar player, he has, like a screen printing business that's really taken off. And so that's just, he just, he goes straight into being a business owner and does that. And the rest of us just go get jobs and are just kind of milling around doing weird stuff. I got engaged to some chick I just met, like a real smart 19 year old decision. And um, I think what happened was Ryan, our drummer contacted Shane uh, from Evelyn. And he's like, Hey man, let's get together and play music just to see what happens. And Shane was living out of state with his then girlfriend. And uh, so he flies back to Texas. They write and they, they get together and they write like him. It was Ryan, Shane and Lucas. And I think they get together and within like two practices, write To flagship and we are the archers. Like they just bang them out like really quick. And then, uh, um they find micah and this is so funny we've always joked about it but like ryan finds micah on facebook uh he says like he just thought he looked cool because <laughs> micah is just a vibe when you see him he's like got all this swag he's a good looking dude i'm like so you just 
messaged a guy you thought was hot on Facebook <laughs> or on Facebook. <laughs> and so uh, Micah was playing bass in this band um, and not singing or anything. And uh, they go see, they, he was like, yeah, come. He's like, I scream uh, backup vocals for this band that I played bass in. Come see us play. And this is before I'm in the picture. I haven't, I haven't come back around yet. And so they go see Micah and he's dorky and awkward. And he like, they said that he did a stage dive. They tried to, but there's like basically no one there. So he stage dives, falls to the ground. But the cord from his bass is like, still wrapped around the amp and his bass falls the, the full stack and the cab and everything falls all the way over and the show grinds to a halt and they spend like 15 the whole rest of their set like getting it set back up because something broke and they had to fix it oh god and then they play one more song and they're like it's like that's the dude at least for sure and uh and then they have him send a demo in of him screaming like Mary had a little lamb or something. We used to have it, and I'd torture him with it all the time, but it got lost. That's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, um, so, yeah, so then, so they had those two songs. They had Archers and Flagship, and after they'd kind of solidified they wanted Micah to do it, they go record it, and then, so they put, they recorded those two songs and put them out. And, uh, and then a friend of mine was like, hey, did you hear what the Terminal dudes and Shane and some other random guy like did as I heard it, I was like, Oh my God, this is so sick. And, uh, they'd been calling me trying to get me to come and like jam with them. And I was like, no, man, I think I'm thinking kind of over it. I think I'm kind of over it. Um, and then just kind of had an epiphany moment. I was like, I think I'm going to like try to give this a shot. So I went to, I hadn't seen anybody in several months. Went to go hang out with them and we jammed a little bit and they were trying out another guitar player. And, uh, he just couldn't play the riffs and I like knew all the riffs already. I'd kind of learned them all. So I sat down and jammed with them. And then, um, yeah, we ended up, ended up joining the band and that's what I did for the next eight or nine years or how long that's it was. Nuts. Yeah. Oh, um, so once you got hit, you know, hit the ground running, uh, with, you know, the band and stuff, how did, how long after that were was solid state kind of in the mix from the beginning? Did they kind of know that you guys had a new band after terminal or was that something that, uh, you brought, they found out later on. So yeah, we hit the ground running. We like, so when I joined the band, they had already, they had, they had written archers and flagship and his name was Bishop. And then another version of, uh, I can't think what the song is called the end of a dark campaign. They'd written those four songs. And then when I joined the band, we wrote, uh, the siren song. So we had five songs and we recorded. Um, so we had the two, we had archers and flagship and they were like on MySpace. And so I think epitaph reached out epitaph wow. was interested right out of the gate. So they go, Hey, here's some money. Go record two more songs. So we went and recorded. Uh, um, how do we do that? No, I think they sent us the money to go record. We recorded, uh, End of a Dark Campaign, His Name Was Bishop, and The Siren Song. We recorded all three of those songs with the money Epitaph gave us. And, uh, and so, and then Epitaph kind of went radio silent. But we wow. had the demos that they recorded. So we had like an EP of, of music. So we sent it to Chad Johnson at Tooth and & Nail, and he was like not into it. And he was like, eh, no, we kind of already have Norma Jean or so. I don't know what... 
if you ask him about it, he'd probably tell you a different story, but essentially they passed on it. And mm. we needed them to pass on it really because they still owned me, Lucas and Ryan mm. because we had a record deal with them still. Uh, and the way that works is they have first right of refusal, meaning that they can, you know, after terminal, we go to them with a record. They have the first, they're the, they, they have to say no to it first. And if they say no to it, then we're free agents kind of a deal. Yeah. But if they had said yes, then we would have had to just put it out and they would have had to sign Shane to Micah. But, uh, so they said no. And then in the meantime, this little startup label called, uh, one by one, uh, was like, hey, we'll put it out. And so we ended up putting out those five songs, uh, the Armored March EP with this little label, got a booking agent, uh, this guy named JJ Kasiri, who's now like oh, a yeah. huge big time booking agent. Yeah, I remember him. Um, we, we were one of his first bands, I guess. But um, So we recorded, we just gave them the, the music from that. They put the EP out, uh, had it in stores, and we hit the road. And then it was kind of after all that, Solid State was like, wait a minute, hold on a minute. This is actually really good. <laughs> and so um, it was kind of like, wait, you passed on this? Like, it was just kind of like, I don't, and again, you'd have to ask Chad to tell you the real story about how it went on their end, but it was kind of like they just kind of shit the bed on the band at first, wow. and they could have had it for way cheaper. Um, so then they had to re-sign the band after we'd already put this EP out. So the EP and When I'm God are pretty close to each other, and it's like the EP is half of the songs on when I'm God. Mm-hmm. So because they just came out so close, basically the label is like, put these other five, put these five songs on it. Go record however many more recorded six or five or six more. So we just like pounded out six more songs to put on the record and then signed a tooth and nail and, uh, or solid state rather. And then, and then put out when I'm God short, shortly after that EP came out. Yeah, let's let's talk about that record when I'm God. Amazing record, I love it. Not, and by the way, I love the Terminal record as well. I think it's fantastic. I didn't mean to gloss over it, but I uh, when I'm God, um, man, what a what a powerful um, first record for you guys. It's intense. Um, let's talk about that record a little bit. I know you kind of mentioned some of it was already recorded and you recorded more, but what was that like uh, recording that was? And how did that feel when when you heard it finally? That was a that was a really exciting time too because we were all really young, you know, full of piss and vinegar, ready to do something different. Because we were kind of ready to like for the dudes that were in terminal. It's kind of like we were ready to do something different, prove a point that like we were still relevant and still like still had it, you know, yeah. and to do something totally different. So, uh, and then Shane was kind of kind of the same. He was like he had been in between the barrier to me. Uh, you know, Evelyn had kind of been passed over. Evelyn was an insane man. They were so good. Yeah. Uh, but just kind of looked over there. So I feel like he had a lot of, a lot of stuff to prove. So we were just, we were grinding it out, writing that record, making it better uh, several days a week. We were, we actually wrote it in. So uh, uh, some friends of ours were in a country band in town and they had a practice spot inside of like a metal fabrication factory and it was literally just an air conditioned little room off of a off a break room where they were like manufacturing steel or something. It was like wow. loud in there. So we would just go in there. We had keys and we would go there like all hours of the day and night and we wrote when I'm God there. Um and uh yeah, it was just like there was so many of the moments where we'd go in there and I remember when we wrote like Charlotte and Toast, 
but just being in the room and like and experiencing the way it feels when you like create something new that was just mm. we had you know sometimes you're just sitting there and like the answer feedback and we look at each other and just kind of like drink beer and be like okay are we done let's just get out of here but then some days you go in there and then, you, then something happens you know and so yeah uh yeah it was great but i remember uh like we would just come out of the room after like jamming for like two hours and they'd be like on the other side of the door, like people eating lunch <laughs> and they had to like sit there and listen to us, like try to like teach the breakdown to Ryan for like an hour, like, you know, or something like that. Like, and so, um, yeah, that was, that was a crazy time too. It was, it was a lot of fun though. I remember one time we, we showed up to practice. We, we got there really late at night and the security guard, didn't know we were coming and just like gun in Shane's face, like almost blew Shane away because oh. he thought Shane was breaking in. <laughs> so, oh man. Um, That's funny. Yeah. So yeah. So we pounded out the song for that. And then, um, that's when we, so at first Chad wanted us to record with the guy who recorded Meshuga. Mm. We were like, ah, we were like, we're not Meshuga though. Like they're, that's not going to work. And so I don't know how we found Andreas, uh, who ended up doing all the old sleeper stuff forever after that. Um, but that ended up being like, people don't really know, but he's like the shadow member of the band. He's yep. such a huge part of it. Um, I mean, like I say, he's recorded basically everything. He didn't record the last, Shane recorded the whole last record that they did pretty much by himself other than vocals, but Andy did the rest of it. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun. He just, we were like a lot kind of annoying and kind of all over the place. And I don't think he knew how to handle us at first, but uh, we ended up becoming like best friends with the dude. That's sweet. Um, so when, when you popped it in uh, and heard it, what were your thoughts? Were you like, holy crap? Yeah, it's like, well, for half of the record we had already had on an album before. Yeah. And we yeah. re-recorded it. And I remember not liking it as much just because I haven't heard the other versions so many times. But now when I go back and listen, I'm like, oh, yeah, the album versions of those were way better than the EP versions. Mm. They sounded so much better. But with every record, when you record it, you kind of come out of the studio a little bit sick of it because you hear it so much. Sure, sure. But then when it comes together, that's when you really, you know, the first couple of weeks, because then you're driving around showing everybody you know, like, because it's not out. So we had it for, like, months before it came out. That's the most that purgatory in between being done with the record and having all the songs and being so ready for it to be released on the world and the record coming out that, <laughs> that period of time is there's no longer days. It's like, how long is Christmas Eve when you're, when you're nine, like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So Christmas morning, it's kind of the same when you have the record in between that and the record, because you're so excited. So that record came out and it was like, that was probably our, I would think probably like the, the fastest the band rose when there was that record came out. That was such a great, strong record to start with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and there's a lot of expectation going into the second record, but so we go into the second record and we write Son of the morning and we kind of decided to take the band in a little bit of a different direction, maybe a little mm -hmm. more structured. Cause when I'm God was just like kind of us figuring out what the band was. Sure. It wasn't, we didn't have like years and years of writing before that. It was just like a thing we threw together when two different bands kind of fell apart and kind yeah. of came together. Uh, and then, so some of the morning was really, I think if you, 
if you look at those songs and compare them to everything after it, it makes sense. I think if you look at everything after that and compare it to When I'm God, When I'm God kind of stands on its own. Yeah. It's, all the songs are pretty linear. There's not really like, there may be like one or two like quote unquote choruses on the record, but everything else is just like, hey, how crazy and fast and heavy can we make it? That's all, that's all we really thought about uh, on When I'm God. So, yeah. Um, um, touring wise, uh, after, um, that came out, how, I mean, obviously I think I booked you guys around then for sure. I think I even booked you yeah. before you signed or right when you had just signed, uh, yeah. to solid state. Um, how was the touring a- after that? I mean, you get, you guys hit the road pretty heavy, I assume. And like we talked about earlier with plea and once nothing and all those, and were the, were the shows getting bigger or did you feel kind of a increase in, in, a, in fan, the fan base? Yeah, we were we were starting to see people show up. Uh, it was weird because we were in this delta between like we weren't at like a one of those like doom heavy metal bands like Drop for a Cowboy or yeah, like think of the bands from that era that like like almost like like pig squeal death metal that was coming out. <laughs> so we weren't that but we weren't like a screamo band either. So we were kind of yeah. like, didn't fit with, we didn't really fit in anywhere. So when we would go on tour with bands, like we'd go on tour with my children, my bride, and it would be like, those two bands don't really go well together. Mm-hmm. I mean, they kind of do, but they kind of don't like, uh, you know? And so it wasn't until we did, I remember we were on tour and uh, Ryan got the call that we were going to, that we had gotten on the demon hunter Living Sacrifice, oh yeah, Famine, Advent Tour. I did one of those shows actually in Kansas City. Yeah, I was a co-pro on it. That was a huge break for us because that tour was massive, and that was yeah. like, kind of right in our wheelhouse. Uh, we got to tour with basically Embodiment, uh, which is the oh, Famine. That. Yeah, because uh, the guitar player of that band is like is my number one hero and Shane's number one hero. So we got to be with them every day. Uh, living sacrifice, demon hunter. It was crazy, and it was another one of those. I would compare it to how important the sales and tour was at Terminal. Mm. The living sacrifice, demon hunter tour was equally that, and exponentially more important to Osleeper. That's where the band really turned a corner, I think, on that tour. That's cool. What an awesome tour. I, I vividly remember that. It, would, I, it What an awesome lineup. It's like the best of the best, man. That's awesome. Very and cool. I mean, it's basically beloved too. It was Advent, so oh, that's right. Yeah. Man, and Joe Mustad and Johnny Longley. I mean, it was just like every day we were surrounded by our heroes. Every That's single so cool. day. I remember just like kind of geeking out, kind of feeling like a dorky little kid the whole time. So I'm like, I bet everyone here I really respect. Like every single person on this tour. I mean, the shows were big, and uh, that was I think that was like the first really big break the band got was on that tour. That's awesome. So. So after that tour, um, how long after that do you start working on Son of the Morning? And, and I know you kind of mentioned how it was from a, a different focus than than uh, When I Am God, but uh, when do you start writing that, and how, how does the recording that record go? Yeah, we did um, – so we did like the whole touring cycle on uh, When I Am God, and then, and then I don't think we wrote literally anything at all. I think we had one guitar riff uh, – at all like maybe one breakdown that's all we had written and then we like went home to go write the whole record and so we just again we kind of knew we wanted to be a little more structured uh 
So that's why there's a lot more like chorusy stuff on that record than anything else. But um, yeah, it just kind of started to come together. Um, we we changed tunings on that record. It's like a record that the whole thing's in drop D, which is a guitar player. That, that makes mm-hmm. sense. But uh, it's kind of like in response a little bit to all the bands that tuned to like drop Z. Like it was like this, <laughs> like everyone was the heaviest, lowest tune thing ever. And we were just kind of at the time over it. And we're like, let's just do a record and drop D uh, you know, around that same time too, our drummer had quit the band, Ryan. Yeah. So Ryan leaves. So that was another transition was Ryan leaving the band and he broke his arm on the last tour that he was on or he dislocated his shoulder. <laughs> so, and we had, that's kind of a funny story. So Ryan's leaving the band. We know he's leaving to go join the military. This is right at the end of the touring cycle for when I'm gone. And so we have a couple people we want to try out. And one of them is this kid named Morgan. And he ended up being the drummer for that band, I the Breather. Mm-hmm. So we were like, hey, man, uh, we know you can play drums. Just come out on tour and do merch for us. And let's just hang out for like three weeks. And I want to say it was like the first day of tour. Like we played one or two shows getting up there. And then we get to this dude's house and we're just, everyone's kind of partying everyone's getting hammered and Ryan wrestles just somebody there. And I was standing there watching it and it looked so stupid. It looked like children wrestling and Ryan stands up and he's like holding his shoulder and he's like, Oh no, my elbow. Oh no. And I'm looking at it and he has a golf ball on his shoulder <laughs> blade, or on the top of his shoulder. I'm like, Oh no. And so, uh, I don't know who drove him to the hospital. Cause I don't know who at that point who could have driven, but anyway, he gets to the hospital and he comes back with his arm in a sling. Oh, and we're gosh. about to start a tour. So we look at Morgan and we're like, hey, man, how quickly can you learn this set? And he pretty quickly, I think we had like a nine-hour drive that next morning. And we actually made Ryan drive with a broken arm or whatever because it was his <laughs> drive shift. So he was, I was like, hey, man, I got bad news. Uh, it's your drive shift first. And I'll never forget. I was in the passenger seat and Ryan has his arm in a sling he's driving and I'm like dude can you please pull over for me <laughs> he's probably hating me but uh, so anyway so there was a weird period of time in the middle where Morgan was playing drums for us on this tour and Ryan was selling merch That's and I think he ended up pulling it together and like his arm was healed enough in the last couple like maybe 10 shows to to uh, finish up the tour but um, so we had Morgan in the in the wings and then we had this other guy matt davis who ended up actually being the drummer so yeah. we fly matt out to texas to try out and he's so good like we can't even fathom it it'd be like if uh matt griner tried out for Jeez. for for sleep i mean he's that good he's literally a machine and so uh anyway so matt joins a band so um so but by that time shane and i had kind of written you know maybe half of the record or something and um and had all the guitar riffs and stuff. And we just kind of, again, just kind of pounded it out. I think Matt moved, Matt left California and moved in with Shane for a while. And we just pounded it out. I mean, that's just kind of the only way to we We just like, we would operate really well if we knew like, hey, we have to be in the studio by like August 1st. And it's May 30th or something. I was like, okay, let's just pound the record out. So we did. That's and cool. a lot of it will come together in the studio too. Like things will change. But sure. Uh, my favorite part of doing that whole record was um, we'd done all the music and um, it was time to do the vocals and I was in the, in the room and 
Micah does the first line of Son of the Morning and the opening, the opening of the record, you know, bam, and he comes in. And I, 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 I still think to this day that his first take was the take you hear on the record. But I remember just being like, oh, my God, this song is awesome. Yeah. This is kicks ass. Micah's the best vocalist on planet Earth because he just kills it. Micah in the studio is a monster. I mean, he's just – I've always had so much admiration for his vocals, but he just killed it. And I remember being – that was the most excited I'd ever been, I think, I for a song was hearing him hit that opening line and nail it and then doubling it. And I think we kept his first – his first take and the double of that take, I think, are the ones you hear on the record. That's amazing. I'm pretty sure. That's so, so, cool. um, so yeah, I put that record out, and I think you could safely say it was a flop uh, when it comes out. Um, the label kind of shit the bed on it a little bit, and they, really? yeah, we had a new A and R. Uh, Chad had quit to go do Come and Live, and. Um, they didn't really give us a lot of attention. We got some good tours, though, out of it. We toured with Bring Me the Horizon. We toured with Every Time I Die a couple times. Um, we toured with... God, who else did we tour with? I don't remember that period very much of touring. I know we, got, I know we did some really great tours, but uh, I think we had shifted gears so much on the band, too. You know, if we... It was a little more structured and a little less heavy. I think if we had leaned into, like heavier less structured it might have gone different but i think it was a record that came out maybe like three years too late that makes sense yeah Uh, so i mean it's still going back it's my favorite record when i go back and listen to all of them if i had to pick one that's my favorite one i think it's guitar i think the guitar and it's really cool um i think it sounds great all the way through but uh and there's some obviously some some really big songs from it but I sure. think as a whole, I think it just kind of flopped. Wow. <laughs> did you see, uh, <laughs> did you see, uh, people not showing up at the shows at all or, or was it still kind of steady? I think it just kind of stayed the same. I think it just didn't really change much. It I didn't gotcha. like do what a great second record should do, which was like take you to the next level. Yeah. I think it just kind of, I don't think, I don't think really anything changed. You know, you have like high expectations for yourself. You know, you think, oh, this is the one that's going to make us bigger than Bono, but, uh, and you know, it didn't, but, but, you know, we kept touring and kept playing. And, um, I think we toured for about, we probably toured. For, I'm trying to think how long Matt was in the band. Cause Matt being in the band was kind of like the, the majority of the touring on that was when Matt was in the band. Matt was in the band touring for about a year, maybe it's some change. And then, uh, he decided that wasn't for him. So he quit. And then that's when we hired Zach Mayfield, who's still mm-hmm. in the band today. Yeah. Uh, and still the drummer. He plays drums for, who does he play drums for now? Also. Day Seeker, I think. Oh, nice. Okay. They're like humongous. But, yeah. Uh, so, um, so at the, so Matt's in the band, Matt leaves, Zach joins the band. You there? <laughs> Do I got gotcha? you? Yeah, you're good. You're good. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so Matt leaves. We hire Zach. Zach comes on, and Zach is a little kid. I mean, he's 19. I think he was 19 or 20 when he joins the band. And my favorite story of when he joins the band, and this, uh, I don't know if Mike could be mad at me for telling the story or not, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, so he flies in. Um, 
to come like meet us and stuff. And so Micah picks him up from the airport and, uh, and so Zach is 19, so he can't go to the bar, but we're all like early twenties. So we're like at the bar. So we know that Micah has picked up this kid who's now going to be our drummer. <laughs> so, so Micah's like, Hey man, um, on the way home, uh, I need to stop in, uh, and, uh, I need to stop at this bar and go do something real quick. Micah goes into the bar, leaves Zach in his car for like several hours. Oh my God. And comes out, comes back out to the car hammered. And he's like, Hey man, can you drive me home? <laughs> and Zach is like, what? <laughs> and Zach's like, what? Uh, I guess. And Zach's <laughs> like still this innocent little kid that we plucked out of Delaware. And so Mike is like, yeah, just uh, go this way. I'm like, and Mike keeps passing out. So Zach's just driving around in circles. Uh, trying to find Micah's house. They drive around for like hours and can't find Micah's house because Micah just keeps passing out. And they finally get home and it's like, I started thinking like, all right, man, welcome to O Sleeper. This is what it's kind of kind of be like. It's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Trial yes. by fire. We amazed yes. him for like forever because he was like a little brother in the band. But uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that was, so we brought him in. But when he came in, we had... Uh, I can't remember if we had like a bunch of stuff written already or what at that point, Shane had kind of like mastered the pro tools doing demos, like fleshing out most of the idea. Like I'd call him and be like, Hey man, check out this riff. And then, you know, he could write an entire song around like, you know, like a two bars of a riff, That's you know, nice. or like, and he was doing most of the writing at that point. Um, so most of it, was like written on the computer, like not even in a practice spot. Like we never really sat down and jammed any of it. We would just be like plug riffs into the computer and wow. do drums to it. And then so Zach kind of had to learn the drums that we had written or Shane had written on the, on pro tools. Wow. And so, but he's an incredible drummer too. So he just yeah. like, he quickly took to it. Uh, we went back to Andreas again, recorded that. And, uh, and that's Children of Fire. Yeah. And that record is, uh, I think that's probably my second favorite record of the band. We had some really big songs off of that record. And the label really, uh, really showed up for that one. They really pushed awesome. it um, after kind of, you know, after, in my opinion, uh, kind of dropping the ball on the second record. They really showed up on the third record. And then the band, I think, kind of went to its next level. Uh, and we got, we were getting better tours. We toured with, Bring me the right. That's what we toured. Bring me the rise. Okay. I'm thinking. Uh, we toured with uh, Falling in Reverse. We toured with The Devil Wears Prada. Every time I die, a couple times. So, um, I think that's when the band really cemented itself as like as like a real deal. And it's like the third record, so it's like we're here to stay, mm -hmm. kind of thing. You know. Yeah. Um, what What were your thoughts when you heard that record uh, when it was recorded? Where you just I mean, obviously, you seem psyched on it. Um, what were you just kind of? And I guess after that, were you starting to feel a little remnants of of wanting to leave at that point, or uh, like kind of maybe going to that after you told me how how you felt about it? Yeah. Well, so we did the record, and I loved it, and I still love it. I remember just driving around in my truck with it in the CD player, like a burned copy of it before it comes out. You know, just driving around, going, "Dude, if this doesn't blow the band up, I don't know what we could do." Like I, that, that was, I remember just thinking that, like, mm -hmm. if this doesn't do it, like if, 
if Hush IL doesn't isn't on MTV, like I don't, you know, or whatever, <laughs> whatever's big at the time. <laughs> I remember just thinking like, dude, if this doesn't do it, then I don't really think that anything could. Like coming from us, you know what yeah. I mean? So um we went into that touring cycle. I was so pumped. I think I I think I toured in the band with after it came out for maybe like another year and a half before I decided to leave. But I wasn't, I didn't leave the band. I didn't really have the thought to leave because I was just uh, unhappy or like not pleased with where the band was going. It was, the band was bigger. Like the last show that I played was like the biggest show I'd ever played in the band uh, as a headliner. And we had like a sold out, we sold out our, our home venue that were in Dallas Wow. Uh, I think we shot a music video for Hush IL that night. And so when you're watching that video, the Hush IL music video, uh, that was my last, my quote unquote last show in Dallas. Um, and the only people that knew were like my future wife and my in-laws and my parents. I hadn't even told the band yet. Wow. Um, did that. And then we immediately went to Europe after that. Like we had a like couple of weeks in Europe where we headlined it was kind of, eh, it's kind of whatever. Yeah. Um, and I remember I was sick the whole time. I had this rash, like a rash that is, I'll let you use your imagination, but, but it was on everything below my neckline. Oh my. And I had to like, I had to go to the ER and get like shots. <laughs> this was like the most miserable tour. That sounds awful. Ever. But I mean, it was still Europe. I mean, what am I, I'm in Germany and yeah. I'm complaining about being itchy a little bit. Uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I just, you know, I think probably your next question was what, tell me what happened when you left the band, but yeah, uh, what, I, that and what, 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 what did they say when you decided to, to part ways? Well, I, uh, I kind of told everybody individually, I, for, I forgot to, I left out the part at the beginning of children of fire when Lucas left the band. So Lucas decided okay. to leave right when we started, uh, writing for children of fire. And, uh, and, um, there was just a little bit of distance growing between him and the band. And um, I think he kind of like was feeling like it wasn't really for him anymore. And so he just kind of was like, Hey guys, I'm out. I'm going to kind of read the tea leaves. And he was just out. So, um, so we hired this dude, Nate to come play bass who'd done merch for us before. And um, just a great friend. So we were on tour overseas in Europe and I knew that it was my last tour and I was, I decided in Europe that I was going to tell everybody on the trip. And I wasn't, like I said, it wasn't because I was unhappy or bummed or I just knew that it was time for me to do something different with my life altogether. Sure. I knew that I, I was just like, I need a new mountain to climb. I need something else to go. Cause I just kind of, like I said, when we put out children of fire, I was like, this feels like the best thing we could do. Uh, I don't know how much better it could get than this. And then you start to kind of take inventory of what you've done. You're like, dude, I've toured with, everyone that I respect done the biggest tours ever been all over the world, been to Australia three times, been to Europe twice, toured with every band ever. Like what else is there to do? I started to think like there's no more mountains for me to climb. And then the way my brain works is if I feel like I've done everything in a, in a, in something, I'm I'm, like, I'm not going to beat a video game twice. Yeah. I'll never play it. If I beat a video game, I'll never play it again. And that's just, I'm not saying that I beat, I beat the video game with a sleeper, but like <laughs> we just, I just figured out that I had just kind of done everything. And so no, I, get it. I pulled, I pulled everybody aside individually, you know, kind of like, Hey, just so you know, this is my last tour. 
love you guys. And uh, please don't tell anybody else. Let me tell them all. So the last person I told is, uh, is Shane. And I waited until he was the one that I was like really dreading the most to tell. Cause I knew he would take it the hardest just cause he's like a, a big feels guy. Mm-hmm. And so we got on the plane and uh, we were flying home and you know, it's like a nine hour flight or whatever. And he, I was like, Hey man, uh, I need to tell you something. He goes, what, you're going to quit the band? And I go, Oh no. I go, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he loves to tell that story today, but it was like, Oh, cool. And then we didn't have to each other for nine hours. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he was the last one I told on the way home. So, uh, no, you know what? That wasn't my last tour because we went home and then we went to Australia right after that. So I told everybody in Europe that Australia would be your last. Australia would be my last tour. That's what I did. Uh, everybody took it good. I remember walking with Micah probably in like Prague or something crazy and being like, hey, man, I'm going to quit the band and uh, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, everybody really understood. They're like, yeah, I get it, dude. Yeah. You know, I was, I think I was like 28 at the time or probably around then. I think I just turned 28 actually. And so not that that's old man status. I'd, I'd kill to be 28 again, but totally. Uh, uh, yeah. I just knew that it was time. So, um, that's yeah, cool. That's it. I'm still friends with everybody. You know, uh, there's no hard feelings with anybody that's ever been in the band. It's, the band is real special in that way where everyone is still friends. Yeah. Both bands, Terminal and Osleeper are special in that way where uh, I have a relationship now with everyone from all those bands. It's great. And it's so great. Mike and Shane are still some of my best friends on earth. I see Shane all the time. I talk to him probably every day. It's um, great. So, yeah. It's been awesome. You have to tell him I said hey, by the way. I will. Yeah. Sick, dude. Well, I know you uh, – can't uh, read the future, but what does the future look like for you, bud? Um, musically or just in general? Just in general. Just in general. Man, I hope that uh, me and Shane and Micah can keep playing Chattahoochee country songs <laughs> until we're, like, not alive anymore. <laughs> That'd That's be cool. cool. Um, but, yeah, man, I'm just uh, – I'm, I'm loving the uh, being adult phase of my life. Yeah. You know? um, you know, I love getting to help people buy and sell homes. That's a, that's really fun and special for me. Uh, I get to like, you know, kind of be out in public all the time. And do um, you Shane, do you use Shane as a inspector? I do. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you do too, right? You're home yeah. Inspector. Yeah. I mean, I do. And I, I don't do that much anymore, but I do like, but I was in that field for a while, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's so, so cool. I have to like preface it with everybody before I'm like, Hey, so my best friend who sang at my wedding uh, is a home inspector, so you can hire him if you want. Uh, but just know that he's like my actual best friend, and he looks terrifying. So when he shows up, uh, he's, he looks like he's six foot four, weighs like 250 pounds. He's like a jujitsu master. Uh, and so, but don't be afraid of him. He's like a really nice guy. Kind of a deal. <laughs> but yeah, That's so awesome. I deal with Shane all the time professionally now, too, which is cool. Sweet. That's really yeah. cool awesome dude well dude what an awesome conversation man this has been so cool i really appreciate you coming on and yeah. hanging out and telling me these cool stories and it was just cool to reconnect and and get you know talk and talked in a while so i appreciate it man i, I hope, hope hopefully i'll get to see you in the future at some point so yeah man i really hope so i would love it if like um you know if i 
either one of the bands, I feel like could still do anything in the future. Like obviously, Ill Sleep are still a band, you know. So I think that you'll continue to hear the things out of them forever, and um, that's a cool thing. They have some new. They have some new stuff they recorded that is unbelievable. That's like, awesome. It's so sick. I don't know if I just spilled the beans on that or not. Oops. Well, it's just coming out stuff. in a month. <laughs> no, I don't know when it's coming out. I don't know who's putting it out, but they have that's cool, cool. Stuff. And maybe there'll be some terminal shows in the future. Everybody kind of still wants to do it. But it's like yeah. a deal where no one's, like, no one's taking the lead to be like, all right, guys, I booked a show. Let's do it. Yeah. I, I can it. see it happening again. I mean, it's just because, like I said, we're all friends, and it, you know, if it makes sense, then maybe, maybe you'll see an, our name on a flyer again. So, it's amazing. James, yeah. you rule. I appreciate it. Good to see you, buddy. All right, buddy. We'll talk soon. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you to the listener for tuning in to this latest episode. I really, really appreciate all the support. Really, really cool uh, that you keep uh, listening to the podcast episodes. Thank you again to James Irwin for your time. Awesome conversation. Awesome to reconnect. Uh, man, really, really cool. So, hey, add me on Instagram and Facebook if you would like at the Rivers of Truth cast. Uh, like and subscribe if you'd like as well. You know the drill. Man, nostalgia, guys. It's it's a hell of a drug. 